Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. You know, family, there is something I wanted to tell you. I spoke to with Deacon, Deacon Charles, just a little, a quick piece of levity here. Deacon Charles was, you know, in the hospital going through some things. And I was talking to him. He was like, Pastor, I really appreciate you calling me. I said, yeah, man, you know I got you. You know I got you. No problem. He said something to me that was so simple, but it was profound. He says, you know, Pastor, let me tell you. Because I was telling my wife was having a birthday. She's like, oh, that's great. He says, Pastor, I want you to keep having birthdays. It's good for your health. Hey. <laughs> Let that sink in. You having birthdays is good for your health. You stop having birthdays, there's something wrong with your health. I said, boy, that's all right. We're going to start the series today called Victory Lap. And there are at least three attributes, three attributes of victory that we want to talk to you about. Those attributes that I want to share with you are victory has a position. Say a position. A position. Victory has a mindset. Say mindset. mindset. And victory has a sound. Say sound. sound. You know, during our initial sessions, what we're going to focus in on is the position of victory. And we're going to begin that discussion by talking about a specific term, and that term is victory lap. Most of us are familiar with the term victory lap. And you probably, if you are not very familiar with it, you can kind of get a sense of, of what it means. But for those of you who are not locked in on what Victory Lap is all about, let me explain it to you. Victory Lap is something, a term, that most people use in the context of sports. For example, assume that we have an Olympic track and field race, so an Olympic race, men and women running around the track. All those runners are competing against each other to win first place. When one of them actually wins, gets first place, they don't just win. Typically what they do is take another more leisurely stroll around the track. During that time, you know, they kind of wave at the crowd. And in waving around at the crowd, he or she often will carry a flag that represents the, their own, their country. That stroll around the track is the victory lap. Of course, there are a lot of activities that we can use to tie in that concept or that term of victory lap. We can talk about horse racing, car racing, World Cup soccer, oh, hey, oh, hey, hey, right? We can even talk about war. Because the bottom line of a victory lap is that there is a competition and someone has won. In essence, a victory lap is the winner's opportunity to stroll before the world and let them know I competed 
and I came out on top. Some say that Jesus did a victory lap after running his race. What was his race? Well, Jesus' race included doing the work that gave you and I an opportunity to be forgiven of sin and get back in right position with God. If we were to go through all the different things that Jesus did in scripture and what we call his work, it would be a lot of stuff. And we're not going to take that time to go through specific scriptures right now. But I think some highlights are in order. What are some of the highlights of Jesus, the life of Christ? Well, let's listen. Let's listen. Some, list some of them. He was born to a virgin named Mary. After that, he grew up and he began what we would call his earthly ministry. During that ministry time, he did several things that are very unique to him. He turned water into wine. He cured people of sicknesses. He cast out unclean spirits. He opened blind eyes. He caused the lame to walk. My man walked on water. And he calmed a storm. He raised the dead. He fed thousands by multiplying a little bit of food into a lot. And of course, the climax of the show. He died, but he didn't stay there. We can say it this way. He resurrected, or just to get it plain English, he got up. Got up. <coughs> Turn to Acts, Acts chapter 1, Message Bible, starting in verse 1. After Jesus rose from the dead, after he defeated sin, hell, and death, after he became our risen king, after he got up with all power, Jesus walked the earth and he appeared not just to his disciples, but to hundreds of others at differing times. For those of you who was here, who were here during the summer, we went through that in detail. When we talked about our pillars, the Bible, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, that kind of thing. But here in Acts chapter one, Luke is going to kind of give us an account briefly going through verses one through three. Dear Theopolis, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive, say alive. alive. He presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. Luke explains here that Jesus, after his death, appeared to the apostles alive. So in other words, he got up. When you think about such occurrences of people seeing him after his death, many people call that Jesus' victory lap. After defeating sin, after defeating hell, after defeating the, defeating the grave, he not only got up, he didn't go straight to heaven, he took a leisurely stroll. Showing various people, hundreds of people that, oh, I did exactly what I said I was going to do. 
And the fact that people call that his victory lap, I'm cool with that. I got no problem with that analogy. I got no problem with that conclusion. I think it's a good conclusion. However, if you want me to get technical on you, though, in my opinion, Jesus' victory lap began way before the cross. In my opinion, his victory lap began before he opened blind eyes, before he fed the thousands, before he healed the sick, before he raised the dead, before he walked on water, before he calmed the storm, before he turned water into wine, before any of that, Jesus began his victory lap. In fact, I will tell you in my opinion, say in my opinion. So I'm giving you my opinion. So if somebody give you a different opinion, say, that's all right, that's my pastor's opinion. But I don't just give you opinion. I give you opinion with word behind it. So if you're going to deny my opinion, you got to come with it because I'm giving you opinion between Genesis and Revelation. So when I say I believe it's in my opinion that his victory lap began way before he was even born, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. I contend that his victory lap began way before his birth. Now, Genesis chapter 3 is the account where the serpent kind of gets in there and gets Adam and Eve to do something God told them not to do. If we were to start from Genesis 1, it's where God created everything. And in Genesis 2 is another small subset of that where he talks about how Adam named the animals and how just the concept of Eve came to be. Because God said, if I leave man by himself, he's going to mess up everything. Now, it didn't come out quite like that. That's my version. But I didn't see any women deny it. They said, yes, God is wise. My wife tell me that all the time. I can't leave you by yourself. You're going to mess up something. The way it was couched by Moses is that God said it's not good for man to be alone. But here in Genesis chapter 3, Amplified Classic Bible, verse 1. Here we have the serpent getting ready to get in the mix. Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, bracketed, Satan said to the woman, can it really be that God has said? Isn't it funny that the enemy is always going to ask you, can it be that God says something and God has been talking to you? Is it, is it, can it really be that God has said? If God said, the answer is yes. But here's the asking Eve. Can it really be? that God has said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden. Now, scroll that back for me, please, sir. Right there, Amplified Classic. We start off with serpent, but we're clear who the serpent is, isn't it? Aren't we? It's who? It's Satan. Also in Revelation 12, it points that out as well. Go on down to verse 14. This time, though, in the NIV Bible, we're going to read Genesis 3, verses 14 through 15 in the NIV Bible. So if we go further down, the enemy, Satan, 
has already convinced Adam and Eve to do what God told them not to do. Now God's getting ready to talk to the devil. Genesis 3, starting in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, or to Satan and the devil, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, the message Bible says, I will declare war. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now the offspring in reference, of reference there is Jesus. So in essence, what the devil was getting told right there by God, God was telling him, devil, before this thing even gets started, I want you to know you already lost. I'm going to send a seed into the earth through a woman and that seed will crush your head. Now that decree from to the devil from God, that was not just mere words because those are words from God. And when God speaks, those words are prophetic. Because what God says shall come to pass. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, Message Bible, verse 2. When God speaks a word, it's a sure thing. We know that God is almighty. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that when God speaks a word, it shall come to pass. This is how God put it to Habakkuk. Message Bible, chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And then God answered, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so those, so that it can be read on the run. Now, this is the part in the King James where it says, write the vision, make it plain. God says, write this. Write what you see, write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait, and it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. Turn your attention back here. Ro, scroll that back for me, my man. Right there. God says, I'm such a bad boy that when I speak a message, the message that I speak is witness that it's going to come to pass. What is he saying there? It's very similar to the rationale a parent would use to a child as to why they need to follow their parental guidance. God is saying it's going to happen because I said so. It's going to happen because I said so. My word is his own witness. I am so confident in my ability, so confident in my power that when I speak a word, you can take it to the bank. God says that when I speak a word, nothing and nobody can stop it. 
As a matter of fact, if you scroll that for me to the end of verse 3, the Message Bible actually tells you that if it's slow coming, all you got to do is wait for it. In those verses, it says that when God speaks a word, the whole world aches for its coming. That is a great parallel to a woman with child. When a woman is pregnant, on the outside, you can't tell it when she's first pregnant. But even though you can't see nothing on the outside, on the inside, there is a human growing inside of her. You can't see it, but it's in there growing. You can't touch it, but it's in there developing. It's in there taking shape. Even though you can't see it, the moment that seed ignited life inside of her, her entire body went to work to go in motion to ache for that child's coming. The same is true with God. When God speaks a word, you might not be able to see it right now. But you got to know that the whole earth, the whole earth, time, everything is aching for its coming. When God speaks a word, that word goes into the future as a seed and it impregnates the future with his purpose. And all of creation aches for that thing to come. You can't see it, but that word exists. You can't touch it, but that word exists. Because when God speaks a word, it shall happen. And nobody and nothing can change that. It's just like a woman with a child. You can't see it right now, but that baby's in there. You can't touch it right now, but that baby's in there. But you keep watching. Eventually that stomach goes from flat to having a little bulge. From a bulge to being, well, bigger. (laughs) And from the moment that seed was placed in that womb, Birth was imminent. When God speaks a word, we need to realize that it exists before we can see it. It exists before we can touch it. If we were to take our minds back to what Habakkuk's really talking about here and what God shared with him. Here's what we would say. When God declares a thing or he decrees a thing, you can take it to the bank. God is not only confident in what he says, he has the power and ability to get it done. No matter what you do, If you let yourself say that it's taken a long time coming, all you got to do is keep watching. If it seems like it's taking too long, pull yourself together and wait for it and stop stop doubting God. Because the validation of his word is on its way and it's going to manifest fest, maybe not on your time, 
but right on time. Thinking about that, if that's your mindset, if that's the backdrop, and we now reflect back on Genesis 3 when God told that devil, that offspring is going to crush your head. God was making it clear with the devil right then. That devil, you've entered a competition that you can't possibly win. He was saying, listen, devil. In this little race that you didn't start it. Before the efficient tells us to take our mark. Before the announcer says, let's go. Before the gun even cracks in the air for us to get started. Before the referee blows the whistle for us to run. Devil, you've already lost. You've already lost this race and it ain't even got started yet. Turn to Luke chapter 10. NIV Bible, verse 18, 18. Devil, you've never been able to beat me, although you wish you could. God says, you and your crew, you can't dethrone me, although you've tried. As a matter of fact, I remember you tried one time and you fell and lost so quick, so fast, so hard that you fell from heaven like lightning. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, talking to his disciples, which were then up into the 70, count of 70, not just the 12. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. God said, devil, I am so confident in your defeat that while you sitting here messing around with Adam and Eve, I've already told Jesus to take his victory lap. He's already started. Now watch him if you can. But he's going to be hard to see. Because he's watching, he's walking on the authority of my word. You can't see him right now, but he exists. You can't see their deliverance right now, but it exists. You can't touch it. You can't see it. But on my word, it's on its way. You see, Jesus' victory lap began way before his birth. Jesus' victory lap began at the beginning. His victory lap came through Adam and Eve to a man named Noah. Through Noah to a man named Abraham. Through Abraham to a man named Isaac through Isaac to a man named Jacob, through Jacob to a man named Judah, through Judah to a king named David, through David down generation, generation after generation to Zerubbabel, and through Zerubbabel ended up at a virgin named Mary. You see, by the time Jesus cracked on the scene through Mary, he had already been walking in the spirit a long time. He had already been taking his stroll 
but I'm so glad that his stroll didn't stop at Mary. Amen. He continued his, 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 his walk of victory through the cross all the way to resurrection. A resurrection that put you and I in a position to upgrade our statuses. It put you and I in a position to join the winning team. Right. Go to Romans chapter 3. Message Bible starting in verse 24. You know, the whole thing with Adam and Eve and their disobedience, that put mankind in a position to be different than what God desired. You might hear it said this way, at least growing up, this is how I, how I heard it, that their act of disobedience put on mankind a sin debt that no ordinary man could pay. When they did what they did, they put us all in a dire situation. Say something with me. But God. But God. As a believer, those two words should be in your repertoire. Sometimes you can look at a situation and it not be favorable, and all you got to do is tell yourself, but God. We had a sin debt that we couldn't pay, but God put Jesus up for a payment, and Jesus paid it all. This is how Paul put it in the book of Romans. Verses 24 through 26, Message Bible, Romans 3. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he's always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in few, full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, this is not only clear, but it's now but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his righteousness. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, the easy to read version. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. But God, once again, those lovely two words, is rich in mercy and he loved us very much. We were spiritually dead because of all we had done against him, but he gave us new life together with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. Thank God for God's grace. You have been saved by God's grace. Yes, it is because we are part of Christ Jesus that God raised us from death and seated us together with him in heavenly places. God did this so that his kindness to us 
who belong to, G to Christ Jesus would clearly show for all time to come the amazing riches of his grace. I mean that you might have been saved by grace because you believe. You did not save yourselves. It was a gift from God. You are not saved by the things you have done. So there is nothing to boast about. God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God has made us new people so that we would spend our lives doing the good things he had already planned for us to do. Once Jesus paid the sin debt family, the only reasonable thing for a person to do is accept him by faith. After he cleared the sin debt, after he raised from the dead, after he gave us the opportunity to be right with God, the only reasonable thing to do is to accept him. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans says, Paul says like this in the King James Version, when Christ did all he did for us, directed by God, being one with him is just our reasonable service. But accepting Jesus through faith to many may seem like a small step. And I will tell you, it is a small step as it relates to what you got to do. Just got to accept him. Just got to receive him by faith. You just got to accept the grace that God has made so freely available to us. That's a small step. Although it's a small step, it is a gigantic move as it relates to you and I living in victory. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, easy to read version. Verse 19. The Bible says that when you or I accept Christ, we enter into the family of God. Verse 19 reads this way. So now you non-Jewish people are not visitors or strangers, but you are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to, the, to God's family. When you get born again, you belong to God's family. Turn to Colossians 3. To say that one belongs to God's family is to also say that that person is hid in Christ. In Colossians 3, Paul puts it this way, Amplified Classic, starting in verse 1. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead, aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds and keep them set on what is above the higher things, not on the things that are on earth. For as far as this world is concerned, you have died. And your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, King James Version. What we just read in Colossians complements what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Remember, Paul just said in Colossians that you're hid in Christ. Now, here in Corinthians, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Family, say this with me together. Let's say this together. Say, my life, my life is, hid is hid in Christ. In Christ. Yes, it is. Yes. Mm, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Your life is hid in Christ. And that's important that you know that because in the race that's important to us, Christ has already been crowned victor. Your life is hid in Christ. Christ has run the race and he's already been crowned victor. Christ has already conquered sin, hell, and death and I'm hid in Christ. Christ has already risen from the grave with all power, and I'm here in Christ. Jesus has already won the victory, but family, I'm here in Jesus. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Because if you heard me, no devil in hell will be able to keep you in your seat right now. Listen to me. I am hid in Christ. That means it don't matter how you see me. God sees me in victory. It don't matter what they say about me. God sees me in victory. It don't matter where I come from. God sees me in victory. It don't matter what my past say. God sees me in victory. It don't matter what they say my future's gonna be. My future's already been written and God sees me in victory. It don't matter what the enemy got against me. The outcome of my life has already been settled. My life is in victory. Why? Because I am hid in Christ. It don't matter. It don't matter. Family, I am hid in Christ. But doggone it, it gets even better. Just when you thought it couldn't get no better. Just when you thought the good had maxed out goodier, here it come. I tell you, my life is hid in Christ. When I tell you my life is hid in Christ, that means that victory is not just on me. Family, I am hid in victory. Follow me now. And you might say, how can that possibly get any better? You already told me, by God, you're hid in victory. Let me tell you how it gets better. I am both implanted within and implanted with mm -hmm. 
victory. What is that better thing? Say this with me. I am hid in victory. And victory is hidden in me. Let that, let that flow. I am hid in victory. And oh, oh, wait now. And victory is also hidden in me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We know that we are hid in victory, but we can never forget, family, that when Jesus left this place, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. He loved us enough that he put something on the inside of us. He put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We can never forget that. We are not just hid in victory. Doggone it, victory is hidden in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, NIV Bible, verse 19 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is where is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Turn to John chapter 16. Amplified classic beginning in verse 7. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And when people hear that the Holy Spirit resides on the inside, sometimes they relegate the Holy Spirit to just a two-word name. I got the Holy Spirit in me. They say it just like so casually. Who's on the inside of you about the Holy Spirit? <laughs> but do you know what you're saying? When you're saying that the Holy Spirit is on the inside, do you know what you're saying? Here in John 16, Amplified Classic, Jesus is telling his folks, listen, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, something's going to come back to be on the inside of you. We jump right into it. He says, verse 7, however, I'm telling you, nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, read these with me. Say, the comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby. All those things will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. Now, slide on down here to verse 13. I recommend you read the whole chapter when you get some time. But verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit, so he's also a truth-giving spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he's our truth guide. The whole full truth. For he will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears from the father. He will give the message that has been given to him and he will announce and declare to you things that are to come. So he's your heavenly communicator as well. He's going to communicate things to you that he's hearing straight from the father and show you things to come, tell you things to come. He will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. 
Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, NIV Bible, starting in verse 4. So you have the Holy Spirit that has all of these different characteristics. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells me, also is the distributor of gifts. Distributor of gifts as he wills. In 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4, NIV Bible, there are, all, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit, here come the gifts, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the, same, by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by this one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Come in, Mr. Frank. We love this example. Turn to them for me. Now, when people say they receive the Holy Spirit, like I said, say, oh, I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. Oh, baby girl, do you know what you got? My brother, do you know what you got? Now, I'm going to ask for some audience participation. I need a sound effect. I need a sound effect. And the one I want, I want to say this, say, 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 bam. bam. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, Lord, y'all good. <laughs> now, where does the bam come in? Whenever I make a motion, like I'm striking him in the, in the tummy, I want you to say bam. Let's, let's practice. You ready? Oh, my God. When you say the Holy Spirit is on the inside, and Jesus said, I'm going to send you something to live on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit doesn't come unequipped. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get nine characteristics, at least, that the Bible has told us. And a spirit that distributes at least nine gifts. Eighteen elements in one spirit. So this man says, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior over my life. Sins washed away. Come into the family of God. And as the Holy Spirit enters him, what does he get? He gets comforter. Bam. Counselor. Bam. Helper. Bam. Advocate. Bam. Intercessor. Bam. Strengthener. Bam. Standby. Bam. Truth guide. Bam. And... Heavenly communicator. That's all characteristics inside of one man. But that's not all. He also gets nine 
spiritual gifts. Now, they're distributed as the spirit wills. But the capacity for the gift is inside the man. What are those gifts? Let's see if we can rattle them off. If not, I'll read them. Message of wisdom. Bam. Message of knowledge. Bam. Prophecy. Bam. Faith. Bam. Healing. Bam. Miraculous powers. Bam. Uh, just, uh, understanding between spirits. Bam. Speaking in tongues. Bam. Interpretation of tongues. Bam. All inside of him. Yes. Nine characteristics. Nine spiritual gifts. All inside this man. But can you stand up for me again for a little while? Because we ain't done yet. We still ain't done. Pastor, can it get better? Doggone it. Yes, it can. Family, because we should never forget that when we say that the Holy Spirit is on the inside, that my Bible tells me that God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the three are one. 1 John chapter 5, by the way. The three are one. So, the blunt truth is this. Inside of every believer, we like to say that the Holy Spirit inside, but if we were truthful about it, if we were blunt about it, we would say, God's inside. He might tell his friends, I got the Holy Spirit inside, but the truth of the matter is God lives inside of him. He might tell his friends that Jesus Christ resides on the inside of me, but the truth of the matter is God resides on the inside of him. Now, how can we possibly say, how can it possibly be that this man says that God lives on the inside of him and El, El, y'all not be on the inside? God most high. How can he say that God's on the inside of me and El Roy, the God that sees everything, is not on the inside? How can he say that God is on the inside of me and El Shaddai, the almighty God, not be on the inside of him? It can't be. It can't be. So when we say that we got the Holy Spirit on the inside, when we say we got Christ on the inside, when we say we got God on the inside, everything that has to do with God also resides on the inside. So what's inside of him? Listen, he has a direct connect through the Holy Spirit to what? Here we go. El El Yon. El Roy. El Shaddai. Jehovah Nisi, Bam. Jehovah Jireh, Bam. Jehovah Rapha, Bam. Jehovah Makedesh, Bam. Jehovah Tiskanu, Bam. Jehovah Shalom, Bam. Jehovah Shema, Bam. Jehovah Rohi. Bam. All of that is on the inside of him. Why? Because he's not just hid in Christ. Christ is hid in him. He is hid in victory and victory is hid in him. It has to be. It has to be. My brother and my sister, 
It has to be. If you say that you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, you need to know one thing. You are not on this earth running a victory lap. Christ has already run that race for you. You are not on this earth running some race, but you are on this earth in a position. And that position for you, that position for me, is the winner's circle. Because Jesus has already completed the race for you. And when you became a member of God's family, you were translated from the place of sin directly into a place of victory. You stand in the winner's circle. That's your position. Bring it. That's your position. You stand in the winner's circle. Just like our example here with Mr. Frank. A man who's hid in Christ. And a man in whom Christ is hid. So here we go. So here we go. Understanding that. Understanding that we are hid in Christ and Christ is hid in us. Knowing that Jesus has already secured the victory. When I tell you that we stand in the winner's circle, family, where else will we stand? Really? That's not being cocky. That's not being conceited. Where else would I stand? He's already secured the victory. Where else would I stand but in the winner's circle? <coughs> what other position can possibly apply to me as a person who is the child of the king? No other place. It can only be the winner circle. What other place applies to you as a child of the king? There's no other place but the winner circle. What, what other place can it be for me as a joint heir with Christ? I got to, sta I, I got to stand in the winner circle. That, that's where I reside. There is no other place for you as heir, to the, as heir of Christ, joint heirs with Christ. There's no other place for you to stand but the winner circle. What other position can possibly apply to me as a person who is hid in Christ? I have no other position that I can stand in but in the victories, in, in the winner's circle, because I'm victorious through Christ. If you are hid in Christ, where, where else would you stand? There's no other place for you to stand. As a person in whom the Holy Spirit resides, where else can I stand? I can't stand anywhere else but in the winter circle. The Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you, where else can you stand? You can stand nowhere else but in the winter circle.
The position we stand in must be the winner's circle because Jesus has already secured the victory. Amen. Say this with me. Once I accept Jesus, my life is hid in victory. And victory is hidden in me. So my starting position is the winner's circle. The winner's circle. Did you catch that? Your starting position is the winner's circle. Talking about victory. How can you lose when you start as a winner? When you start as a winner, you got to convince yourself that you a loser. How can you lose starting in the winner's circle? When you are hid in Christ, in Christ, the Holy Spirit and God is hidden in you. Family, before you open your eyes in the morning, you already standing in the winner's circle. Before your feet even touch the ground out of your bed, you already standing in the winner's circle. Before they did what they did, before they said what they said, you already standing in the winner's circle. Before your past did what your past did to make you feel like you were not significant enough to do what God called you to do, once you became heir to, to the throne, once you became a member of God's family, once you became joint heirs with Christ, your feet went from the loser's bracket straight to the winner's circle. No matter how you look at it, once we become one with Christ, we have an end result. And that end result is we win. No matter how you try to carve up that cake, no matter how you try to slice it and dice it, the moment you asked Jesus Christ into your heart, the moment you became in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you now. Once you picked up all those characteristics, all those gifts, once you got a direct connect to El Shaddai, El Elyon, El whoever you want to say that God is, the almighty one, the all-knowing one, the all-encompassing one, once that became something that was in you, you are not only encapsulated on the inside, on the outside, you are birthed a winner on the inside. The end of it all is you win. So as you physically walk through this life, every step you take is a step in the winner's circle. Hold your head up high. Don't let anybody or anything convince you that you are anything less than what God has called you to be. You are royalty. Lord, I'm getting it in next week. You win. You win. One more time, say this with me. I am hid in Christ. I am hid in Christ. 
the Holy Spirit is hidden in me. Therefore, I am hid in victory, and victory is hidden in me. I got to let y'all go. I'll see y'all next week. Let's pray. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.